0: What's up and welcome back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swing, and this is a special episode of the podcast. By the time you're listening to this, I will have just given a keynote at the Indianapolis Indianapolis Operator Retreat, and really cool the way that this opportunity came about. Essentially, somebody that's planning and leading this event I heard the keynote that I did at the Houston Leadership Conference and was like, you should come up here and add value to our event. And so if you're out there and you're listening and you're a part of planning, a operator retreat or a leadership conference and you'd like me to come add value to the event please let me know i'd love to have a conversation with you about it um as always there will be a way to reach out and connect with me in the episode description of this podcast you can go there and click the link and it'll be super easy for you this event specifically though i'm really fired up about the theme of the event is time well spent and a testament to just how dynamic this operator team is, they're the number one operator team in the Midwest, and I don't think it's by accident. I think that all of us need halftimes in our life. If you think about any like underdog comeback story, typically the first half is a hard-fought battle. It's not going the way that they want it to. You get into the locker room. You rest for a second. You re-strategize around what's happening What's happened in the first half. And then you reignite the belief that you can get it done. There's some type of awesome speech that happens where everybody gets super fired up and they go back out on the court and they believe that they can get it done. And that's exactly what I see this event as. It's an opportunity to to take a moment and pause with others and grow ourselves and grow each other so that we can go back in reinvigorated, with a newfound belief that we can come out on top, that we can win the game. I have spent most of my life in Birmingham, Alabama, is where I grew up, but my dad is a product of Indiana, and he grew up in this really small town, Frankfort, Indiana. Shout out, Frankfort Hot Dogs. If there's anybody listening from the small town of Frankfort, their mascot is actually a wiener dog, one of the least intimidating mascots that I've ever seen in my life. And I had the opportunity to visit my dad's high school gym as I was growing up. And it's famously known for, uh, or known as the gym that they filmed the movie Blue Chips in. If you're familiar with the old basketball movie called Blue Chips, they filmed it in this high school gymnasium. If that tells you how nice of a gym it is, it's a dome. It seats like over 5,000 people. It's bigger than most of the college gyms that I played in at the NAI level coming up. And Because my dad was a product of Indiana and a product of basketball, I was the weird kid in Alabama in the heart of football country that loved basketball. I had seen Hoosiers more times than I could count, could quote every line of it. And uh, I think this game of life is a lot like that championship game at the end of Hoosiers, where all of these small town kids from Hickory, are now in Hinkle Field House, which is where Butler University plays in this massive gymnasium. They're about to play against the South Bend Bears who are bigger and faster and stronger than they are. And it's overwhelming, right? There's all of these external factors and these priorities that creep in and this new level of competition that's happening. And it's very similar to the way that I feel in life at times. When I have a when I have things pulling me different directions as far as my time goes, and if you've seen the movie, you remember the famous scene. The coach gets out to gets out a tape measure when they get to the gym, and he has the players measure the distance between the rim and the floor, and it's ten feet, just like any other basketball uh, rim height. And then they measure the distance from the rim to the free throw line, and it's fifteen feet, just like any other basketball court, just like it is back at home. And we need to be reminded constantly, of uh, of that of of home, and what home is for us, and the way that we play this game of life. And so I'm gonna about, I'm, I'm gonna talk about how do we win this impossible game the the game that everybody else is counting us out in the game that very few people will actually win, and and we are definitely underdogs coming into it. How do we win that impossible game? To know me, you need to know that I have a family. I've got three kids all under the age of five, and I tell you that not just to mention my family, although I would. I, I talk about them all day if you're willing to listen. I love them, <laughs> but I tell you that so that you hear that and you think, man, that sounds like chaos because it is, and I am in the trenches with you. Is as, as busy as life is, my, my life is, is busy right now, and I, I'm coming from a place of busyness, and I don't have it all figured out. I'll tell you that up front. I'm 33 years old. There's other people out there who've had way more experience and have way more wisdom on this than I do. And I've gotten to learn from a lot of them. And I think that's the reason why I'm on the stage doing this keynote is because for the past six years, I've had the opportunity to connect with hundreds of operators. The the creme de la creme of leaders in our country, Chick-fil-A owner operators, have poured into me and invested in me over the span of the past six years of my life, so much so that I felt really selfish uh, hoarding up all of that um, wisdom and pouring in that was happening to myself. So I launched a podcast two years ago called The Secret Sauce Podcast. You're listening to it right now. I hope you know what it is. And uh, we've got 14,000 downloads and about 800 unique listeners every month now will tune into it, which is really cool. And um, this is going to be a mosaic of just all the opportunities that I have had to learn through WildSpark and conversations with the podcast and conversations that I'm happening. And I'm just putting it together in a beautiful masterpiece for you where you can get all the value from it. But before I deliver all of that value, I want to talk with you about some opposition that we have, some major ops, as the Gen Zers would say. That's your Gen Z word of the day. If you're a Gen Xer or a boomer or even a millennial hanging out with some Gen Zers, use the word ops. It does not mean operations, which is what I initially thought that it meant. It means opposition or opponent. So major ops that we're going to face, I'm going to give you a scouting report. When I was in college playing basketball the week before the game, we got our scouting report. It had every player that we're going to be playing against and what their predominant hand was and what their go-to tendencies were. and What was their primary move? What's their secondary move? Where are they vulnerable? Where can we attack? And the unfortunate thing is we move through most of life without a clear scouting report for the opposition of the opponents that we face. But I'm going to give it to you right here. Three major opponents. I'm talking about like monstar level opponents. The first one is we can do it all mirage. The we can do it all mirage. When you hear the word mirage, I don't know if you think about what I think about, but I think about somebody wandering through the desert, cotton mouthed, cracked lips, looking for water and they see the thing over in the distance, and it looks like a tropical paradise, and they get there, and they realize that it was just an optical illusion, and it's just more sand. Um, I think that that's the effect that the We Can Do It All Mirage has on us. We constantly think that there's this scenario of maximum optimization where we're eventually going to fit it all in. We're eventually going to get to the point where we've made it, we feel the most efficient that we felt. We can finally tackle all the things that we want to get to. And the reality is that you can't. You can't do it. It's just a mirage and you're just going to be more thirsty by the time that you get there if you try to chase after it. You've seen the big rocks illustration where you have the empty jar and you get the rocks out to the side. And most people put the small rocks in then the medium rocks and the big rocks. And by the time they get to the big rocks, there's not enough room left in the jar for them to get the big rocks in. And that is true. We need to be focused on the biggest priorities first. But the illusion that that illustration creates is that if we put the big rocks in and then the meteor rocks and then the small rocks, there's room for everything. And there's this ideal world scenario in which it all fits in if we would only just learn how to prioritize. And I don't think that that's true. But our culture is obsessed with it. We see articles all the time, like five methods for the entrepreneur that make the most of their day or 14 time management practices that are going to help you complete your to-do list. My favorite one is one that I read. Um, and it said best morning routine, 21 steps for a more productive day, 21 steps. <laughs> There's no chance that you're fitting the finishing those 21 steps before noon, right? Your, your entire day is gone over the course of those 21 steps. But we keep coming back to it because we think that there's this ideal method that we just haven't yet discovered. And I love what Oliver Oliver Berkman says in his book Four Thousand Weeks, a very different take on this principle of time management. He actually says, "Convenience culture, what we're living in right now, seduces us into imagining that we might find room for everything important by eliminating only life's tedious tasks. But it is a lie." you have to choose a few things sacrifice everything else and deal with the inevitable sense of loss that results it can sound a little bit morbid but i think it's actually refreshing when you think about it the fact that we can't fit it all in means that nobody else can either like there's there's no there's no there's no way to do it and the quicker we come to terms with that i think the more at peace i can feel with knowing that I'm doing what's right by focusing on the few things that are really, really important. We have to choose the few things, sacrifice everything else, and deal with that sense of loss. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we decide what to sacrifice and what to do? And John Gordon puts it this way. He asks, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? I encourage you to think about it often because knowing how you want to be remembered helps you decide how to live and work today knowing how you want to be remembered helps you decide how to live and work today. And I'm sorry if you are hoping for this revolutionary new answer to the problem of dealing with the we can do it all mirage, but it's one that we've all heard already. It's legacy, it's vision, it's purpose, but we know that vision leaks and we've got to be constantly pouring into it if we want to live the type of intentional life that we want to live. And so it comes back to legacy. I'm going to have us all go through an exercise that's listen, a mental exercise, because I think most of the time when we think about legacy, we think about our our general legacy statement or our our vision statement for our life, which is really important to have. If you don't have one of those, I'd, I'd encourage you to think through that, come up with the one or two sentences that are, that's your mantra for how you want to live life or how you want to be remembered. Um, we need something that's portable, that's memorable, but we also need to think specifically about the people that are in our life and how do we want to engage with those people because people are different. And that, that, um, that solution is going to play out differently depending on upon the person that we're engaging with. So happy 80th birthday. You've reached the end of your life. Um, on average. I think the average person lives to be about 80. Sorry. You may live till 90. Who knows? But even if it's 90, your 90th birthday party, everybody just finished singing happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And we ate all of our cake and now it's time to give some toast. And we're all about to give a toast to you for the impact that you've made on our life. I'm going to ask you to think about a couple different groups of people and what you would hope that they would say about the impact that you've made on them. The first person I want you to think about is your spouse, the person statistically that you will spend the most amount of time with over the course of your life. What do you hope that person says about the mark that you've made on their life? And if you're not married yet, think about your future spouse, your ideal spouse. What would you want that person to say about the impact that you made on them as you get later in life? Got it. Now I want you to think about your kids. What would you hope that your kids would say about the impact that you made on their life as they're, they're getting to the end of their life and they have kids of their own. And maybe their kids have kids at this point, if you get to that point. But what would you hope that your kids say about the impact that you've made on them? Next group, what would your closest friends say? The people that you spend time with, that you enjoy spending time with, think about those people and the time that you'll spend with them multiplied out over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What would you hope that your closest friends would say about the type of friend that you were? What will your community say? The the people that you rub shoulders with every day that may only know your first name, that may not know your whole name, but what would you hope those people say about you? What about your church? What would you what would you hope that your your fellow church members would say about you? The people that you serve with inside of your community? This is the last one I want you to think about. What, what, did you hope, what do you hope your team would say about you? We spend more time at work than anywhere else in our lives, about 80,000 hours statistically. So what would you hope that the people that experience you, where you spend time most over the course of your life, what would you hope those people would say about the impact that you had on them? And here's a bonus points opportunity for all my listeners of the podcast. If you're sharing this with your team, or if you know of somebody else who listens to this podcast, I would reach out to them and say, hey, what do you, what were you thinking about when you were when Josh was asking, what do you want your team to say about you as you get to your 80th birthday? Um, it'd be a great discussion to have with somebody else. Something magical happens when you take time to reflect on a question like that. Something more magical happens when you write it down on paper. Something even more magical happens when you speak it out loud to somebody else, find somebody else, speak it out loud to them. That's the first opponent the we can do it all mirage. We have to use these things that we just detailed as a checklist filter system. Anything that we're thinking about doing, run it through these, these descriptions that you have for these different people in your life, all the different important people in your life, and then determine, is it contributing towards the way that I want people to talk about me at the end of my life and the impact that I want to have on them? Let that be the driver for what you decide to focus on and what you decide to sacrifice. Number two, the opponent of the wrong scoreboard, the wrong scoreboard. For my NBA fans out there, you'll remember this game as I'm describing it, but LeBron and the Cavs were playing Steph Curry and the Warriors in a finals game, and they were down two points, I think. They were on the free throw line, and they were going to miss the free throw. Their strategy was to miss the free throw, get the offensive rebound, which very rarely happens, especially at the end of the game like this. And then they are going to put it back up, score two points, go into overtime, win the game in overtime. Um, Well, they shot the free throw. They missed it perfectly. They got the offensive rebound. never happens. They got the offensive rebound. J.R. Smith comes down with it. And instead of going back up and scoring – he dribbles away from the basket, the opposite of what he was supposed to do because J.R. Smith thought that, th- that on the scoreboard they were winning, not losing. Made one of the biggest scoreboard blunders of all time that produce one of the most famous memes of all time. You know what I'm talking about? The one with LeBron with both of his hands stretched out towards the basket with this look of disbelief on his face. Like, what are you doing And in the same way, I think our future self, if it could come to us in the ghost of Christmas future and look at what we were spending time on right now, they would probably, there's some things in our life that they'd probably be like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time here. You need to be doing something that aligns with the scoreboards of life, the right scoreboards. You need to be playing to win and you're doom scrolling on social media or you're binge watching um Netflix every night there's other ways that you can spend your time they're going to they're going to help you win at the scoreboards in life and I say scoreboards not scoreboard because I don't think that there's a single win loss scoreboard in life I think there's four primary scoreboards and I'm going to share each of these with you the first scoreboard is the scoreboard of of being spiritual being the second one is body your health. The third one is balance relationships. And the fourth one is business. And I, the order that I mentioned those in is significant. I think that's in the order of priority that they should fall in in your life for, for where you should be looking for scores in your life. But as a listener of this podcast, I imagine you're really driven. You're really successful. You probably work really hard at your job. And for people like us, business can come easy and it can be the the scoreboard that gets all of our attention and focus and we can win in business but then realize that it was at the expense of our spiritual well-being and our health and the relationships that are in our life and when somebody gets the unfortunate terminal illness news in their life they never go you know what i need to i need to still make sure that i'm at that sales meeting tomorrow or you know what, if I could just get $10,000 more in revenue for my business before I go, that would be a big win. Nobody says that kind of stuff. They usually go, you know what, I need to make sure that I'm right with God. I need to focus on where I'm going to spend eternity right now. They they usually say, you know what, I need to focus on the relationships that are most important to me. I'm going to go reconcile that strained relationship, or I'm going to go do that thing with that person that I was waiting until later in life to do, but I'm going to do it right now because it's important those are the most important things. Those are the things that people have regrets about. And so, how do we focus those things? Focus on those things in an appropriate, healthy way? I'm going to break it down for us. I'm going to start with being. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Um, but if you're if you're not a believer, please don't tune out. I'm not going to tell you that you have to follow Jesus Christ, but I am going to tell you that I I wish that you could feel the joy and the peace and the love and the fulfillment that I have from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and with my heavenly father. The way that I would evaluate your being scoreboard, I would start with your meaning in life and, uh, answer the question of what are the facts about my level of trust that I have in God, knowing that he'll come through for me in my life. What are the facts about my consistent engagement with my heavenly father? That that's something that is emphasis on the word consistent and not sporadic. What is my belief in my source of truth? Which as Christians, it's, it's the Bible is our source of truth. And then what are the facts about my security of my eternal salvation where I will spend forever? What is my security in that? The, the second M that I want you to think about is your meditation. What does my daily reading of God's word look like? What is my daily journaling and thought on thoughts and prayers that I have? What is my what is my daily obedience to God's voice through what I hear him saying through scripture and through prayer? The third M that I want you to think about is meeting. What are the facts about my commitment to meeting with a group of believers? Uh, We know that iron sharpens iron, that we cannot do it by ourselves. We need other people if we want to be successful in this life. Am I having spiritual fellowship? Is there accountability in my life? Do people know what's happening so they can hold me accountable? Is there an environment where I can be vulnerable and authentic about the attacks on my character that I'm facing because all of us face them? Do I have a place where I can talk about those things and meet with others? My makeup is the next M um understanding my personality and the way that God's designed me. Um am I stewarding the gifts, talents and resources that God's given me? Am I, am I being a good steward of that? And do I understand my spiritual identity? The last m here is movement. How does my faith move? Am I encouraging and, infir- and affirming others spiritually? Am I inviting other people into my faith journey? Am I discipling, am I multiplying into other people? Am I living out my purpose in every domain of influence? Not just one domain, not just in my family, or not just in work, or not just in my small group, but in every domain of influence. Am I living living it out in every domain of influence? And getting this right is make or break. Um, If you think about these scoreboards as a juggling act and you're throwing up balls in the air, this is a glass ball. we serve a gracious God who forgives. But unfortunately, I'm here to tell you the further you get away from Jesus, the more mistakes that you make in life, the more that life falls apart, the harder it is to get back to it. So don't don't drop a glass ball. This one's really important. The next B, the the, the next scoreboard is the body scoreboard. And to think about your health. The way that I would frame this up is your ability to, to choose your heart. The best leaders that I know, they take really good care of their body. The best leaders are healthy leaders. And what I mean by choosing your hard is um, most people let hard happen to them. They don't realize that they can choose their hard. And so you can choose the hard of getting up at 530 and exercising, or you can choose the hard of not being able to pick up your grandkids one day because you haven't taken good care of your body or not being able to to roll around with your kids in the yard because you can't get up, because you haven't taken good care of your body. The pain of discipline is far less than the pain of regret, I'll tell you that. The pain of discipline is far less than the pain of regret. So how do we evaluate our body? What are the ways that we need to think about? I think most of the time we think about body, we think about New Year's resolutions. I just need to set a goal to get on this diet or to spend this amount of time in the gym. And that's important, but it's not everything. We need to think about our frame. All these are going to be Fs. We need to think about our frame, the statistics on our height, our weight, our fat, our muscle, our body image. We need to think about our function. How does our body actually function? Our gut, our colon, our hearing, our our sight, our spine and brain function, any injuries we're dealing with, diseases that we may be battling. What does my body's function look like? Foundation. We need to have a firm foundation that we're building our body on. We need to have annual physicals. Erin is going to be rolling her eyes listening to me talk about this, my wife Erin, because she had to stay on me for like two whole years to go get my physical. I finally got it done this year. But what Erin would tell you is that if something goes wrong with your body, your doctor has nothing to compare it to because you haven't seen him. You haven't been in for a physical in years. They don't know what the baselines are for you, so they can't tell when things get off the rails. You got to know what your foundation looks like same thing for dentist and then sleep patterns what is my what is my daily my my nightly sleep look like lebron james arguably the greatest athlete of all time spends millions of dollars on his health each year says that getting 8 hours of sleep is the best legal perfor- performance enhancing drug that exists getting 8 hours is the best legal performance enhancing drug that exists if lebron's doing it i'm doing it Fitness is the other one to think about. This is the one that most people typically think about, my exercise routine, my strength. I'd also encourage you to think about mobility and flexibility if you're thinking about longevity, your cardio capacity. Fuel is the other one that people regularly think about. Uh, What types of food am I eating? How much alcohol am I consuming? Uh, What's my caffeine intake look like? Am I taking some daily vitamins and supplements? Those are all important factors for your fuel. And then lastly, fun. What does my energy level look like every day when I show up? What, what am I? What does my emotional health look like? Um, am I am I gracious or or am I irritable? Because <laughs> the level of exercise and health that you have within your body will determine those things. And then, do I have physical hobbies that refuel me? If you listen to a couple episodes to Daniel Andrews episode, he signed up for a Leadville one hundred, where he is going to run one hundred miles consecutively. That doesn't sound like a hobby to me. That sounds like hell. It sounds a little bit like hell. But for, for Daniel, that's a hobby. We all need some of those hobbies that can refuel us that are physical. So that's body. We got being, we got body. And the next one is balance. And the way that I would sum up this is go watch an episode of Bluey. Um, watch how Bandit and Chili parent. And um, and that's what you should do. That's all I'm going to talk about there. No, I'm just kidding. That's an unrealistic unrealistic expectation. Um, If you let your your kids watch Bluey, just be prepared to be called out as a parent. I was washing the dishes the other night, and our oldest, Elliot, was playing with a balloon, playing Keepy-Uppy, which is a game they play on the show. And she said, Dad, come play Keepy-Uppy with me. And I said, sure, as soon as I finish the dishes. And then she said, well, Bluey's dad always plays Keepy-Uppy with her. And I was immediately convicted and went to play Keep you uppy because that's more important. Playing with my kids was, was way more important than, um, taking 10 more minutes to wash dishes that night. The, the dishes were going to get done later, but think about our relationships. Sorry to go off on a bluey tangent, but think about our relationships. Think about the areas where we spend time, the people that we spend time with, um, over the course of our life, there is a really insightful graph. If you look up, um, Salil Bloom is a guy that has a, blog, a, a newsletter where he puts out really valuable information and he pulled a graph from the American Time Use Survey on who we spend time with and visually just gives you some shocking insights. The, the first thing that really stuck out to me in this graph is that 90% of the time that we get with our kids, if you're a parent with young kids, 90% of the time that you get with them in their life is from ages 0 to 18. An overwhelming majority, 90%, and then the other 10% happens after 18, which is very little. So it just it really inspired me to want to maximize these first 18 years of their lives. Also, if I look at my age, I am spending the most amount of time with with kids in my 30s. It starts to decrease in your 40s rapidly. And to where it bottoms out, as you get to your late fifties, and um, I only have a little bit of time with kids. And while it is a lot of work, and there can be moments where I wish things away, I'm like, man, this is tough right now. I've gotten five snacks for people in the last two seconds with three kids. I don't know how that math works out, but it can be exhausting to the point where you're like, man, I can't wait till they can do stuff for themselves. Um, but be very careful. Don't let moments like that turn into habits, turn into you constantly wishing for the next thing in life. Maximize this time with your kids. That was the first thing that I noticed from this graph. The second thing was the person that we spend the most amount of time with in our lives is our spouse by far. And it it caused me to ask the question, am I investing in my relationship with my wife, Erin, in the way that I expect to get long-term fruit from it? if you've been married for some time and we've been, I've been married now for almost a decade. um, You can tend to get a little complacent with your relationship and it's just something that's always going to be there. And I think we're doing a major disservice to ourselves and to our spouses. If we treat our relationship that way, I know when I am most connected at home is typically when I am most successful in every other area of my life and connectedness at home boils down to me having some kind of uninterrupted conversation with Aaron even if it's 10 minutes daily uh date night at least every other week and at least one time a year taking a trip without the kids if we're doing those things and we don't get it perfect and certainly during some of the young years with the kids we went like 3 years without going on a trip just us two um that was that was a really hard season uh but we always come back to it we always prioritize our relationship and that's that's really important because it's a relationship that matters if you don't have a spouse yet that that may be that may be the biggest if not the biggest it's in the top 3 decisions that you'll make in life is who your spouse is going to be because of the amount of time that you'll spend with them over the course of your life so make a good decision there number 3 time with parents siblings and close friends is really rare it <clears throat> it's it's somewhat high in your 20s and then it bottoms out in your late 20s. You're just not spending a ton of time with your parents, with your siblings, or with close friends. Um, but we need to do a better job of this. There is a culture of loneliness that we're facing today because of social media and and other external factors. And I heard a doctor recently talk about the impact of chronic loneliness. It means going through loneliness for a long period of time in your life. And he equated it to the impact of smoking cigarettes, which sounds really, uh, really bad. We know that we know how unhealthy it is for, for us to smoke cigarettes. He equated it to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, being chronically lonely, not having relationships to give us life and to give us energy, to give us value in our life. So prioritize those relationships, go deep with some friends. The older that we get in life, the more and more time that we spend alone. It is a constantly increasing line in our life is the amount of alone time that we get in life, which tells me the older that we get, the more intentional that we have to be about spending time with others. And I I know it's something I'm gonna be constantly thinking about for the rest of my life after seeing this graph. Time has a funny way of just maximizing things. So we've all met the people towards the end of their life um the the people the person who like screams at everybody to get off of their their lawn and their property <laughs> i don't know if you knew that person in your neighborhood but we definitely had one of those in ours um where they were just cranky and i i really think it's the byproduct of of years in loneliness but we also know that the sweet person at church that always has Uh, those butterscotch candies or those weird strawberry candies and they're passing them out to all the kids and they just seem so joyful um, at the end of their life. And I think that's also a a byproduct of the people that they, they surround themselves with. So be somebody who surrounds themselves with others, prioritize those relationships. As I was talking through some of those main points, uh, I'd love you to think about what's one of them that really resonates with you, with the season that you're at. Like, are you where I'm at? Are you in your thirties? Did you need to hear, you know, maximizing time with kids, being more intentional with that? Um, Are you at a place where you're trying to choose your spouse or you at a place where you're later in life and you need to think about how do I maximize relationships more? How do I be intentional about inviting other people in? Not be all business scoreboard, but be balance scoreboard oriented. Think about balance in your life. So we had, we had being, we had body, we had balance. Now I want to talk about business. The fourth and final B. And it is fourth for a reason, because I believe that being, body, and balance, they fuel your business if you do them right. And if you don't, they will drastically take away from your business. They will make you toxic in your business. But there's there's four key areas that you spend time in your business that I want you to think about. I want you to think about management. and And management time would be time that you spend either managing tasks that you're responsible for or managing people that you're responsible for. This is where most of us will spend a majority of our time at work, uh, in one-on-ones or in orientation or uh, working in the restaurant uh, with your team. Whatever that looks like for you, management time is something to think about and evaluate. What does my time look like from the management side of things? Am I hitting a home run in that area? The next area of time that we that we invest in specifically related to work is creation time. And this would be time that we spend setting ourselves up for success in the management time. It would be planning for that meeting. It would be thinking strategically about how to engage our team or thinking about different areas of the business and where we need to spend more of our time from a creation perspective. The third area is one that very few people would get to, and that's consumption time. That's time for us to learn about our business It's time for us to grow ourselves, whether that's our our leadership skills or our business skills, but we need to be spending time reading books, listening to podcasts, asking other people questions, getting mentored by others, um, being led by others, being a follower in certain scenarios. What does your consumption time look like? How much time are you investing in learning? and then the last area is is if very few made it to consumption, and almost nobody makes it to this stage. This is ideation, and I think uh, I, I, Tim Tisopoulos, for some reason, his face pops into my mind as I think about ideation time for work. He's like the godfather of ideation. When Tim Tisopoulos walks out on the stage and wheels out his, uh, his whiteboard or, um, or his easel, Everybody just leans in. We're at Next this year and you just watch like 5,000 people lean in when you see Tim come out there and he's about to take us to school uh, because the dude spends some time ideating. He talks about his library days once a month. He protects an entire day to go sit in a library and sure he does some, he does some consumption, uh, but he also does a lot of ideation and ideation is where our consumption means something. It's where it gets put into practice we're able to uh, conceptualize what it means to us personally. Learning without application is just entertainment. You might as well not be consuming at all if you're not going to do something with it because really you're just going to sound smarter. Um, and if that's all you want to do, then go for it. But you're barely going to scratch the service on the impact that you could have in your business if you don't spend time ideating. And we have to protect space for it you think about the times when you have come up with the ideas in what you wanted to start doing. It was usually when you had time taking a shower or you were driving in the car, you were laying in your bed trying to go to sleep. It's when the idea hit you because it was the only time that you're not doing anything else because we cram so much in. So we have to be intentional about creating space for those last two create, I mean uh, consumption and ideation in tandem. Okay we've got the we can do it all mirage which we we've, defe- we've defeated that opponent we've got the uh, wrong scoreboard opponent we've defeated that opponent we now have the four the four scoreboards your your being your body your balance your business and now we're going to talk about the final opponent which is the opponent of of pace pace what does our pace look like in life we live in a world that is obsessed with moving at a unsustainably fast pace. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but there are 11 Fast and Furious movies, 11 Fast and Furious movies. I had no idea. I was creating my slide deck and I was looking for a, a Fast and Furious picture to put in here for my pace slide and I saw Fast and Furious 11. I was like, there's 11 of these things. Um, But I think it speaks to our world's obsession with moving at a fast and furious pace. Our life can look like a street race at times where we're just pedal to the metal. We're all gas, we're no brakes, and we don't give ourselves time to reflect in a way that we need it. The two biggest challenges that I've seen in life with successful people, one that just sticks around. We just continuously, we're never going to do away with these challenges. The first challenge is the struggle of appreciating where you're at in life. And the second challenge is the struggle to decide what actions to take to create your desired future. And the reason why those two things are such big struggles is we, we, we spend so much time doing, just going, going, going more and more and more and more that we don't, and we don't spend enough time thinking and so when we're in that fast paced scenario, we are an emotional roller coaster because our um our mood for that day depends on what kind of day we've had. Was it a good day? Did we get a lot accomplished, or did things go off the rails? If it was a good day, man, we're gonna be in great spirits. If it was a if it was a terrible day, then we're gonna be in terrible spirits. But I would encourage you to think about life from a different angle. I would encourage you to take a zoomed out perspective. And this only happens when we create space to be able to reflect when we slow down to what I like to call the Jesus pace. He just moved at such a slow pace. Um, You never saw Jesus blowing somebody off because he was late for a meeting. Um, You think about the scenario of of Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, He could have just went straight into town to whatever was next, but he didn't. He stopped at the well. And I think if they had cell phones, he could have, Like scrolled on Instagram while he waited for his turn at the well, but he didn't do that either. He engaged with the person because he was moving at this slow pace. There wasn't something else that he was trying to get to. So he had time to connect. And so we need to move at that slower pace. Most people, this is the way that they reflect on their life on a daily basis. Everybody takes time to reflect, um, but I think we're reflecting the wrong way. Most people just sit in the present and they think about past experiences and they try to adjust course based on what past experiences they've been through or they sit in the present they imagine that the future that they wish that they had and they think about you know plans of how am I going to get there to that future state that I want to have but I would encourage you to think about it from a different way and this aligns really closely with the book The Gap and the Gain if you're familiar with it but I would encourage us to sit in the past and consider ourselves in the present and sit in the future and consider ourselves in the present. So the way that I'll start here is by talking about sitting in the past and thinking about ourselves in the present. Two questions that I'll ask you. Number one, what was my definition of enough five years ago and how does it compare to my definition today? What was your definition of enough five years ago and how does it compare to your definition today? What I know that we all do is we just constantly move the goalpost, right? We, we kick the field goal. It's good. It's through the uprights. And then we just move the goalpost back a little bit. We move on to the next thing because if all of our hope is in those things that we accomplish, they're really fleeting. And so we have to move to the next thing because it leaves us super empty. And we can lack an appreciation for what we've accomplished because we just constantly move that goalpost. Thinking about your definition of enough five years ago, I bet you've hit a lot of those things that you considered to be enough, and you now have this new definition of enough today, but take time to be grateful for what you've accomplished. And that that leads me into my second question. What would my five-year younger self be proud of me for? And am I proud of myself for those things in the present? What would my five-year younger self be proud of me for, and am I proud of myself for those things in the present? Be proud of yourself. Take time to appreciate the things that have happened in your life that have led you to where you are. The the second take that I want to take on this is to sit in the future and think about ourselves in the present. And for this one, I want you to imagine that you woke up 10 years later in life, the year is 2033, and you are winning. You're winning by, by all definitions, all scoreboards. You're winning. What actions did you take that got you there? As you think about living that life in the scenario in which you're winning, what actions did you take in your present self to get you to that future state that you're imagining yourself in? My next question would be, if you woke up in 10 years and everything was broken, what went wrong? So to flip that, that first question to the other end, What if you woke up in 10 years and everything was broken, what went wrong? What happened that sent you into a downward spiral that caused you to lose at all these different areas in life. And the last one here, if everything else stayed the exact same, if everything else was the same, what one variable would create the biggest positive change in your life 10 years later? If everything else stayed the same, what one thing would create the biggest positive change in your life when you woke up in 2033? Think about think about being body, balance, business, What one thing would create the biggest positive change? And then, last thing I want to leave you with an excerpt from another excerpt from Oliver Berkman's book, 4,000 Weeks. I'm just going to read this to you because I think the words are so beautiful and, and so well written. It says, Our lives, thanks to their finitude, are inevitably full of activities that we're doing for the very last time just as there will be a final occasion on which I pick up my son, a thought that appalls me, but one that's hard to deny, since I surely won't be doing it when he's 30. There will be a last time that you visit your childhood home, or swim in the ocean, or make love, or have a deep conversation with a certain close friend. Yet usually there will be no way to know in the moment itself that you're doing it for the last time. We should therefore try to treat every such experience with the reverence we showed it, if it were the final instance of it. And indeed, there's a sense in which every moment of life is a last time. It arrives, you'll never get it again, and once it's passed, your remaining supply of moments will be one smaller than before. To treat all these moments solely as stepping stones to some future moment is to demonstrate a level of obliviousness to our real situation that would be jaw-dropping if it weren't for the fact that we all do it all the time. I'm going to read that last part again. To treat all these moments solely as stepping stones to some future moment is to demonstrate a level of obliviousness to our real situation that would be jaw-dropping if it weren't for the fact that we all do it all the time. As much as I like to think about the future and what things that I need to do now to get to that desired future, in which I want to leave that legacy that we all detailed earlier in our speech. Don't do it at the expense of maximizing every moment. I think it's great that this this event is called Time Well Spent, but I'd like to flip it. I'd like to talk about how do we spend time well as we think about walking away from, from this message. Spend time well. I, I hope that you'll leave here and you'll pick up your daughter, you'll pick up your son um, with reverence that it could be like it could be the last time because it is the last time in that instance. But go live a fulfilled life. Thank you again for tuning in for this episode of the podcast. And we'll be back with a normal episode on the next episode. Stay saucy, everybody.